Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phyllis Gove, and we're going to do another one of those uh, two-episode episodes. Uh, the first is going to be with Meg Masters. Uh, she works in publicity over at Netflix. She used to be a reporter for E! Um, she was on for, uh, I think, The Love Bug a few weeks ago, and we're going to talk about Help for the Lovelorn, the, uh, I would say, infamous uh, Twilight Zone episode that they did of Felicity. Uh, it actually took, it actually aired in the year 2000, um, but I don't give a shit. Uh, I wanted, I wanted to talk about it, and uh, it was only uh, like two or three weeks into 2000, so I'm just, uh, I make the rules, so we're going to talk about it. But uh, it's a tremendous episode, and if you have not seen Felicity, even if you just want to watch it in a vacuum, I highly recommend watching the Twilight Zone episode. It is, uh, it's really, really, really tremendous. And uh, Meg and I talk about that. Uh, we get into the details of how it mirrors the original uh, television show and and uh, and the episode that it's uh, that it's let's say, uh, nodding to. Um, but uh, it's a great episode. And then after that, uh, I have an interview where I was able to interview Robert Benedict, who plays uh, Richard on Felicity. And we talk about his experiences and what that was like. So stick around for that after uh, my episode with Meg Masters.
Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phyllis Gove. Uh, and with us today, again, thankfully, uh, for a special bonus episode, since this episode didn't air in 1999, uh, is Meg Masters, a critic reporter. We used to be a critic reporter at E! and TV Line before moving to Netflix in publicity. Uh, she was here a couple weeks ago for The Love Bug, and thankfully she knows uh, lots about The Twilight Zone, which will help me since I don't know a ton about it. Um, but, uh, this episode is too good to not talk about. I was just, it was one of those things where it, it's on the cusp. It's literally one episode outside of 1999. So I make the rules and I want to talk about this episode. So we're going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> and it's just so good. It's called Help for the Lovelorn. Um, it aired on January 23rd, uh, 2000. It was written by J.J. Abrams, uh, directed by Lamont Johnson, who, uh, was a former Twilight Zone director. He directed about six or seven episodes of, of the original show. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of this episode, Meg? I mean... Uh, it's so good. And <laughs> better than I remember, and probably just, again, the same as going back and watching the last episode. It's better as an adult. I just feel like you can relate to it more. The themes are really kind of heavily forced upon the viewer. And it does tie back to the show, even though it's... Um, you know, it's a standalone episode, obviously. But I don't know. It did justice to Twilight Zone. I know you said you don't know a ton about that. but I've seen a handful of episodes. Have you seen this episode of The Twilight Zone? I have not seen the one that they're riffing on. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so <laughs> I just rewatched it. I mean, they by the time they're in the box in the Felicity episode or they wake up in that area, mm-hmm. that is almost... I mean, there's like word-for-word dialogue that is pulled really? from... Yes, oh, wow. and like... The stretching and thing—I don't know. I just think they—it was just such like a lovely little, like paying homage to the Twilight Zone. It's it's a it's a huge love letter, you know. It's it's one of those things where um, I was watching this episode thinking a lot of things, but one of the bigger things was they don't do this anymore. Um, we don't do standalone episodes really. I mean, you'll have the occasional bottle episode, which is done for production purposes less mm-hmm. than uh, anything else. Where and for those who don't know what a bottle episode is, it's essentially when uh, you've spent too much money and you need to essentially stay on your on your standing sets. Uh, you need to bottle, quote unquote, the episode so that it's cheaper to make, so that you can take the money that's being saved on that episode uh, and and afford it to the episodes that come after it. Um, so you'll have those still because budgetarily they still happen, but you don't have. You know, your musical episode from Buffy. I mean, I guess Grey's Anatomy did a musical episode too. <laughs> if you could see the look on Meg's face <laughs> as I mentioned the musical episode. Um, but <sighs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, and I think part of it has to do with the fact that, I mean, broadcast TV isn't what it used to be. Um, doesn't have the viewership that it has or had. Um, and, and I think that because episode orders have shrunk in the cable and streaming space, uh, people don't want to quote unquote burn an episode on something like this. Um, It makes it a bit of a relic and such a lovely thing that I miss. This is exactly what I said because I was rewatching it again last night. And I truly, it started and I thought, I can't think of the last time someone (laughs) just did these like standalone episodes, which I feel like nowadays fandoms would probably reject it almost. I I don't know. I just think they would not love something like this today, which is sad because I think this is just such a, it's a nice little, um, just a little treat in the middle of something. What I will say is I did not remember this was as early as season two. I remembered this as something that like 
ended the series almost like as part of oh, the really? time traveling stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, I was very young when I watched the That's show originally true. and yeah, I just, I couldn't believe not only that it was so early, but it's like yeah. season two, the hair, the backlash. Yeah. I don't know how like the production timeline and the writer's room went. I have to imagine they were probably at, they maybe written a draft of this by the time this was, I, I don't know, but it just felt like, whoa, extra risky during a season two when things were already so kind of hair gate and ratings down. And I agree. You know, I, agree. I mean, and it's, it's, it's crazy in a, in a bunch of ways. It's crazy too, because I watched the, uh, the episode, the first episode of 2000, which came after the finale, um, obviously in December, they did one episode, which they split into a two-parter, which has the strangest of two, to be continued at the end of it. It's essentially her dad and her sitting at a, at a, at a restaurant yeah. and it's just like tough times ahead to be continued. And I'm like, what? And Wait, I that guess was a finale. Cause I did that. that I no, that was the premiere. Okay. That was the All premiere right. of the, of the, of 2000 essentially. So like that was January, whatever 16th or something like that. Um, But it's strange that first of all, that they split it into a two parter, which I can only assume the TB, the to be continued was because they knew this was coming up next week and they didn't want people to be like, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, it's a weird placement for this episode to your point. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the show is, you know, it's it's on wobbly terrain. The hair stuff has happened. The ratings are down. And then they spend money on this. Like, this is an expensive episode. It yeah. looks beautiful. Um, when I was talking to Amanda Foreman about this episode, when I interviewed her, she said that the director was very old and very slow. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, again, like, that doesn't help you on budgeting. Like, that that makes things more expensive when it takes longer to make stuff. So, it's just one of those things where, to your point, it's a big swing and it's to go all in on something at a very strange time for this show. And clearly just for the fun of it. I mean, it, yeah, it's, exactly. it's literally just because JJ and probably Matt are fans of Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do think it made sense in the placement within the season, though. Oh, I know it's not part of the Twilight or the, the To Be Continued, but man, did it just like perfectly just fit right in between the Ben coming back and wanting to be with Felicity Mm -hmm. again and the Nolan Ruby stuff. I don't know. I just, again, like the smartest stuff, the show just did the smartest stuff and it made sense within it. I I could not agree with you more. It's um, watching it through the lens of, I mean, this is also part of the problem too, which is, you know, in 1989, or or for this episode, very very early 2000, you know, audiences just they weren't as savvy to a certain degree, um, and and I don't say that as a judgment, um, but I just think that the type of television people were watching back then was very specific, and as as we've sort of discussed on this podcast, and we'll continue to discuss, uh, you know, this is the year that that. The Sopranos premieres, um, and the year that the West Wing premieres, and it's a real sort of fulcrum point for the television industry, where you're seeing that moment where, obviously, broadcast is incredibly lucrative. It's the it's the standard bearer, and this industry is holding on to it with every ounce of its being. Um, how we're still holding on to it, even with mm-hmm. two other types of distribution <laughs> that exist. Um, and I think that if you watch this show through that prism. 
you're not going to get the meta textuality. You're not going to necessarily get all the commentary that exists within it. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically what I'm saying is it's kind of too smart for its audience is, is unfortunately the case. It is. I agree <laughs> completely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to give a very brief synopsis for, for the people who haven't watched this episode recently, but you should just honestly, to our listeners, even if you don't watch Felicity, whatever, just watch this episode in a in a vacuum. It's just a great episode of television. Uh, former Twilight Zone director Lamont uh, Johnson helms this tribute to the sci-fi series in which a lovelorn Felicity visits a mysterious clinic that promises to heal her broken heart. However, no one will tell her what the cure actually entails, uh, despite repeated requests. So she bolts. Bef- uh, so she bolts before her examination is done, only to learn later that the treatment has already begun. Uh, I'm going to read just a couple little uh, reviews here of the episode. This was, as you can imagine, too, um, it's kind of chum in the waters for critics, too, right? Which is you're setting yourself up to be compared to arguably what some would agree, I imagine you too, as one of the greatest television shows of all time. So you are a WB, you know, show about a girl in college who, (laughs) and now all of a sudden you're, you're putting yourself in a, you know, Perhaps not the best comparison. That being said, uh, Vulture said this remarkable Twilight Zone episode billed as a major television event was a pleasure to watch full of oddly quaint diction and Twilight Zone style edits. This is Abrams flexing his nerd muscle before we knew he had a nerd muscle to flex. Uh, Sci-Fi Wire said one thing that can be said about the 22 episode season is it allows writers to be inventive to think outside the box or in this case reveal what is inside it. The box is a metaphor for your late teens, early 20s. As Sally explains in her closing narration, it is a strange gray area where you want what you want, what you need, where you don't know what you want, what you need and what you'll be. You're forever in question. And then the New York Times said as a general rule, Felicity established its aesthetic in the pilot and didn't much deviate, which is part of why this wild gimmick episode from season two is such an enjoyable jolt. But it's not just the look uh, complemented by noirish lighting and period costumes that is stylized. The actors also try on a kind of crisply articulated, slightly arch line readings, typical of Twilight Zone era shows, with Amanda Foreman uh, and Tangie Miller being the standouts. Janine Garofalo does a fantastic Rod Sterling imitation in the opening and closing voiceovers. <laughs> Um, and then in a, in a letter accompanying a review of Felicity, a review copy of Felicity. So I guess they sent video cassettes to, I'm assuming critics. Yeah. Abrams wrote a letter to each of the critics and in it said, I'm sitting here writing this to you with an autographed photo of Rod Serling hanging on the wall behind me. I feel now as I have in the past that he's watching saying to me, as he used to say to the writers who worked for him, write your dreams. Uh. Lovely. What a flex. JJ just jumping in, <laughs> making this episode. He's like, I'm a yeah. fan and I have this photo and I'm doing it. <laughs> it's it's just, crazy. I mean, it, it really is. Uh, I mean, not to belabor the point, but it needs to be said that they have not made 30, maybe a little over 30 episodes of this television show. Mm-hmm. And the show's a hit in whatever that might be for a WB show back then. But like, this is just a long way of saying that it's a real flex. Like it's a real swing to do something like this at this stage with this show in the place that it was in. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. No, absolutely. Because I think Buffy, the musical was, I'm, I should be a super fan. I know this six or seven. I don't know. It was near the end. Now I need to look it up. Five. Um, still very, very far into the show. And maybe that's just why in my head, I it was in the sixties and you were right. Okay, six six. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, which makes sense. It's almost like when the show, when shows are kind of like dying down or moving into that final phase, like they'll just throw stuff like this in. And I don't know. I just, it also speaks to, I'm curious that Vulture review, was that more recent? Because one, I didn't remember Vulture. No, no, Vulture, these were all, to be honest with you, all three of these reviews were within the last couple years. Okay. Because it is, it just, it, Watching now through the lens of knowing who JJ is, it's, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not prophetic, but it's like, you it are is. just no, seeing it's, it's, this yeah, person. You can see, absolutely. You're seeing, uh, the, you're seeing someone who um, understands what he wants to do. I just did, I just recorded an episode that, that will come out uh, either next week or the week after with uh, Joanna Robinson, where we talked about the final five episodes. And mm-hmm. talked about J.J. Abrams from sort of 30,000 feet and, you know, how good he, how his intent is clear. Now, whether or not he's always able to stick the landing is a debate that we can all have. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it is what it is. But he understands how to start something. He understands what the intent of a thing is. And that's why I think, like, as an episodic, I'm going to say genius, he's so good at giving you this incredible thing as it's happening in front of you. He wants you to have the most amazing ride in that moment. Now he's not great at knowing tomorrow, but he's great at knowing now. Right. And he can give you this amazing thing. And, and this is such a, a a clear sort of mission of intent of like, I want to do this thing um, with this, these two things that I love uh, and bring them together and mashups don't always work. Um, no. more times than not, they don't. So this, you couldn't think of two more polar opposite things than Felicity and Twilight Zone, especially Felicity in season two. Yeah. And I just, yeah, he, it's like you, he brought his fandom and his, mm-hmm. um, expertise of the world he'd created within Felicity and his, you know, wealth of knowledge of Twilight mm-hmm. Zone and his wealth of knowledge of writing and filmmaking and, knowing what it would mean to bring the original director in. And it was just this perfect marriage of, you know, something that meant something to fans. And I think it's even now I'm thinking, cause I think last time we talked about JJ and mm-hmm. what would it be like for JJ to have a show or, or be mm-hmm. in series television still. And when I think of what he did with this and trusting his yeah. gut that long ago and knowing that this would work, I'm, I think of, like the leftovers or Watchmen, and like Absolutely. God, if JJ yeah. was in television making something like that and bringing what he brought to this yep. to that, I he should really get on that. I just, we should let him know. He should. <laughs> we should let him know. He should. He's he should got really something. Focus. He's not focused <laughs> enough. Um, I'll, I'll say this. You know, as you were talking there, I was thinking about how um, this episode, in its own way, sort of reminds me of um, USS Callister. Uh, I worked on that. Era. Oh, that's amazing. The now best. I'm just jealous. Because <laughs> um, it's, you know, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. And the cast on that thing now, like looking at like Michaela and I mean, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. And and obviously uh, Kristen Maletti and uh, Maletti. But uh, it reminds me of that because this episode kind of feels like a Black Mirror episode in its own way. It's it's and the Twilight Zone, obviously, Black Mirror is a lot to Twilight Zone. That goes without saying. But yeah. um it's just interesting to see, to your point, taking these two polar opposites and finding the similarities that 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 exist in them. I mean, that also takes a genius too to be able to say like these two things can work together. 
through this, you know, if we do it through this, this, and this, and we make it about love and we make it about, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really fascinating to watch as, as a TV writer to think about how JJ, and perhaps he was looking at it in terms of the placement of the season and thinking like, where does this slot in that makes the most sense as you outlined earlier, that mm-hmm. we're at a, a, an inflection point in the season and perhaps this is the best time to do this because she soon gets into a relationship with that other guy that I don't really remember from season two. Uh, was Greg, he Ben? Is his name? Is it Ben? <laughs> no, then I'm not. Not interested. <laughs> I need to. I need to have a conversation with you. Another conversation with you about Ben, since I just rewatched the final episodes. So I, I need to talk about that for a second. But we'll talk about that in a sec. But but this is uh, a really special thing, and and I love that thematically this episode is about Felicity not wanting to be hung up on Ben and Noel anymore, which I can only assume a lot of people might have been <laughs> feeling at that time for the show, which is get over it, move mm-hmm. on. Um, and I think that that's pretty fantastic. Uh, it's it's an acknowledgement of itself. Yeah. And I going back and rewatching the Twilight Zone episode, there is a line in it where, mm-hmm. you know, I think Tangie Miller is almost kind of playing her in, in this Felicity episode where yeah. there is a ballerina dancer. And she says, like, maybe we're just the, maybe we're just the loveless. Like, we just are the unloved. Mm-hmm. And I just, again, thinking, like, JJ could have, done anything with any episode there are so many episodes of twilight zone that he could pull from but this one line that he's pulling from this one kind of random episode of the twilight zone and bringing it to life and really just tying the themes together um yeah and seeing how much that ties into felicity specifically like yes i agree that maybe people were kind of over the will they won't they or who will she be with thing but also it's sort of like Felicity is her feelings. Felicity is her emotions. And how terrifying would it be for her to just like rid herself of all of that? And yet that is what this episode is about. And so it's almost meta in that way where it's like, fine, you guys, you're tired of Felicity being so wishy-washy with her guys. Well, this is what it's like when she explores getting rid of that stuff and all of her feelings, which, you know, nobody wants a feelingless Felicity. Nope. There, I couldn't agree with you more. There are two lines to underline exactly what you're saying that I want to highlight. The first is um, she's in the doctor's office and she says, I put too much importance on things, romance and sex, I guess. For some horribly horrible, annoying reason, love matters to me. Ben matters to me. Noel matters to me. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of caring so much, feeling torn and wanting that connection, that soulmate. I just want this feeling to go away. Um. And of course, that's exactly what, the, what this clinic wants her to say, and they want to hear from her. But then at the end of the episode, she says, uh, not really hurting means not really feeling anything, then forget it. I'll take all of love's pain if it means I can feel some of love's happiness. It's just, uh, it's good stuff. It's just it's great. So good. It's so good. And it, and it understands, like, it just understands itself so well that it's hard to kind of it's, it's almost hard to articulate that the show is able to sort of funnel that through this, let's be honest, kitschy, fun, great, you know, experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I just keep coming back to how it's just too smart for its own good at the time. Cause I'm just it like is. people, I remember, I remember watching the episode live and just being like, I mean, it's cool. It's in black and white. Like I get, it. but like, I just didn't fully appreciate 
how special it was to do something like this. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just really at its core, it's an exploration of how painful love is, especially when mm-hmm, you're young mm-hmm. and the extremes we want to go to, to rid ourselves of that pain. And sure. that is everything that Felicity is about too. I just think, yes, it is a standalone episode and you could pop in and watch it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think even with its ending, which is just so Twilight Zone and silly and not connected mm-hmm. to anything else, it it is. It's it's still completely on theme with the show and what the season continues to go on to do in the series for that matter, um, which again just adds to how smart it was. And it was yeah. way too smart for <laughs> like all of this was lost on me back then watching it. Um, yeah, no, I mean I, I, it was lost on me too. I think that you know, it, it's the ending as 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 campy and silly as it might be um is perfect because in its own weird way like i'm sure that i mean i know amanda foreman's been asked a million times like what was in the box what was in the box mm-hmm. um and and this obviously and i i hate to do this because it's so sort of it's such well-worn terrain but jj abrams in the mystery box which is his you know he did obviously a ted talk about mm-hmm. a mystery box uh which he's never opened which he got from his grandfather when he was young um and it is quite literally the most metaphorical J.J. Abrams thing ever since everything he does is a mystery box. Um, and that's fine. I don't, I don't begrudge him that. Um, I, I do think that uh, two quick things. The first is Joanna Robinson says something to me in the other episode, which is fantastic, which is that Damon Lindelof always believed and continues to believe that what needs to be in the box needs to be a person. Um, and hmm. that if, if what's in the quote unquote box is a person, it'll always have an emotional resonance. Um, if what's in the box is a thing, it won't. If it's a doohickey or it's some sort of MacGuffin or some sort of a what have you, which let's be honest, JJ has done from time to time, uh, it doesn't have the same resonance. Now, the irony in this is literally the people are in the box here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, there is a nice symmetry to that, but, uh, it's great that this happens so they never have to talk about the box again for all intents and purposes, right? Because it's like, who gives a shit what's in the box? Like, it's just have fun with the show. Yeah. Um, so I'm okay with the ending being what it is. How did you feel about the ending? I love it. And as someone that loves this episode of The Twilight Zone, this is the ending of the episode. And it is their dolls in in the original Twilight Zone episode. They're, um, they're not... They're, it's also, again, tying it to that um, specific episode. They are dolls who are unloved in this moment, but they're in a drive to go to like in, you know, a, a homeless shelter or something like that. And okay. so even Rod Sterling's, you know, voiceover is about, it's just momentarily they're unloved, but maybe they're on their way to love. And again, that's like, that's totally what this is too. Like they're just yeah. feeling lost. And so for, for them to end this episode of Felicity in the exact same way and have Megan be kind of the puppet master for lack of a better term. I mm-hmm. I think it was funny and it was just a nice little kind of button on the box um, of it all. And totally, you know, they still did like we've talked about, like kind of supernaturally things mm-hmm. to an extent with Megan and that's fine. But, you know, by, you know, a season and a half in, um, I think we were good on the box and this was like a fun I, night. I, to, I agree. I, I, yeah. I also, to your point, to underline it, you know, the, the, the purgatorial component of the box, um, 
first of all, made me think of Toy Story, but that's neither here nor there. 100% um, Toy Story. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering if Toy Story is a reference to, to this Twilight Zone episode. But um, the, the purgatory component of it is twofold. The first is it speaks to, uh, it obviously speaks to college, right? Which is mm-hmm. in the voiceover at the end that Janine Garofalo says, you know, Felicity Porter stuck in purgatory, you know, forever, essentially, <laughs> or AKA college, something to that effect. Um, so there's definitely the college component. Um, but then there's the TV character component, which I love, which is that it's a commentary on the fact that to be a television character is to constantly be in some sense of a purgatory. You're never, you can never grow outside the box that the showrunner is essentially giving you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that I love when they all are sort of working through, you know, when they're all stuck in the box in the, in the last third of the episode, or the last act of the episode, all of them are talking about the various things that they hope to be, perhaps, maybe. Um, and it's almost <laughs> like the characters are talking to the writers in this weird mm-hmm. way and saying, like, what is, what is going to happen to me in the future? Um, that's a whole other layer of metatextuality in terms of, of the fact that it's a show that knows it's a show. Um, doing homage to another show that knows it's a show like it's yeah. it there's all these it's like a nesting doll of of references it's it's pretty fantastic i love that i never i didn't see it that way i mean now that you say it i definitely do and i think it's great and it's also i think something that people were always frustrated with felicity with is she seemed un, unintentionally i'll give her that but she seemed very selfish and self-involved and it kind of didn't matter <laughs> who was with Ben or what Noel was doing. I mean, the episode before this about like, well, I love you, Noel, even though you're with Ruby. And, you know, I think this also is everyone affected and in the box and in the, you know, the clinic piece of the episode, they're all Mm -hmm. just people who have been left in Felicity's wake because she Mm -hmm. follows her emotions and her life. And, um, you know, it's, it's an exploration of her having to confront that as well and kind Mm -hmm. of recognize that, you can't just, um, just because they're your emotions and they're valid and they're your feelings, you can't just go with them all the time because other yep. people and other lives are involved and look at where it got you in this episode. And then also you are just at the end of the day, you're all stuck in the same spot and, you know, living your lives, but kind of yeah. in purgatory and it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, it's, it's, it's true what you're saying. And it, it kind of speaks to, um, you know, protagonists of shows, I think generally have this problem, um, especially shows that are perhaps specifically named after one person, um, where the show feels like it's all in the shoulders of that character. Um, they can seem selfish, right? I mean, it's always about that main character for some, unless Mm -hmm. you have a two hander, which can sometimes be a benefit, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for, and I appreciate when the supporting characters call out that character for these things, because at least it's an acknowledgement by the writers that, you know, this character's being shitty, but we don't really have a choice. So at least we're <laughs> going to shine a light on the fact that this person's being shitty. Um, so I, I do appreciate that, uh, when that happens from time to time. Um, uh, one of my favorites is, uh, I know you, you didn't watch Sex in the City, but there's a, there's a, uh, an episode where, uh, Carrie goes over to Miranda's with bagels. Um, and, and Miranda's like, these are bullshit bagels. You, you brought these over to talk about your own shit. They're not to talk about my problems. They're, they're talking about your problems, uh, which I think is a, a great thing. Um, but, uh, I also just want to say, you know, the New York Times article highlighted, um, Amanda Foreman and Tangie Miller, and they're both fantastic in this episode. But, you know, Carrie Russell in this episode is doing something 
truly fantastic. I mean, we all know she's a tremendous actress, but um, the 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 modulation that she's doing between sort of that perfectly overdramatic Twilight zone kind of mm-hmm. acting and also grounded, believable is is really, really special because you have to care about her in this episode. Otherwise, it's just an affectation. Yeah, there. it's the perfect balance with her specifically of very subtle moments, like just her, her eye work and her face work when the mm-hmm. woman first approaches her with the clinic yeah. card and just like the weird putting the card away. And then, you know, you, you see her registering everything and it's literally just wordless face work. Perfect, yeah. And then beyond over the top Twilight Zone, um, yep. I think I, I read the producer, he said like it was very difficult for him because Twilight Zone directing it back then, like the acting was theatrical and, uh-huh. you know, it felt more like a play or a performance in that way. And that is what Felicity is doing and Carrie Russell's doing in the moment where she's between the doctor and the nurse and like pointing really big and over the top. Um, <laughs> but both work in in equal measure. And I will say for performances, mm-hmm. that really surprises me that they say um, that who did they say beyond? Uh, it was a uh, Tangie Miller who I, I thought okay. was fine, but Amanda Foreman she was is Elena. in the episode. Yeah, no, I know she um, was Elena. No, Scott Foley. It's literally his yes, audition yes. tape for Scream. Um, he is fully <laughs> playing Roman. He is like That's aggressive really and angry and mean and something you never see in Noel. And I, I thought that that was great too. He played this sort of like. Stepford wife type man, and then totally. you know this enraged scream killer, if you will. Which <laughs> if you will, alert I mean, if you wanted to go there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um, it's funny because I I another thing that I think that Carrie does in this episode, and and perhaps the other characters do it as well, but I noticed it prominently with her. Um, was her understanding the lighting as well. Um, you know, a lot of actors obviously understand lighting. Um, they know, you know, how they want to look and they understand their image very well. But she uses, you know, the, the lighting in this is very stark, as you can imagine. Uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of gothic lighting, a lot of sort of crazy shadows and crazy lighting across eyes. And she just understands how to really run with that and weaponize that. So, you know, to to she understands how much that says. So you can actually act less when you have this very dramatic lighting on you, um, which I think is a real testament, obviously, to her to her abilities. Um, so to people who want to watch the Twilight Zone episode that this is based on, it, the episode was called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it came out in 1961. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... it's So apparently this director um, also had a very specific dolly that he wanted to use from the 60s. So it so the camera would physically move like it moved back in the 60s. Um, so again, slowing things down, very deliberately done. But again, it, it's one of those things where I, I didn't notice it necessarily, but I'm sure subconsciously it's there. These are all things. They're identical. You- I am telling you, the filmmaking, it's true. To hear that, I'm like, of course you wanted that. And of course you <laughs> made it work. And... Those scenes in that box on both episodes are truly identical and they, um, you know, they elicit the same response from the viewer and they look the same and they feel the same. I mean, the, the climbing, um, obviously I love that scene, just the way that they're all like straining, but it's the same in the original episode. Um, 
Yeah, just everything. It truly, I was going to ask you just as a filmmaker kind of, and Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't have, you know, extensive experience watching Twilight Zone, like (laughs) what, what is your response to it in that way? Just like visually. And do you see the, how, you know, just spot on it is in terms of that grayscale and the, you know, the Dutch tilted camera and, you know, Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you're watching it and you, it, as someone who a loves television and loves filmmaking, if you don't watch this episode and have a smile on your face, you're just too jaded and you can't enjoy anything anymore. Like, I think that it's, it's such a, a love letter and, and, and such a, a lovely acknowledgement of the past while also being steeped in its present. Um, but in terms of the filmmaking itself, you know, you mentioned them climbing on each other. I mean, they were obviously lying dead, which is what's, <laughs> Which is fantastic, right? Because you're like, there's no way that Carrie Russell's actually physically climbing over these people. So, so they're the noises they're making and the what have yous to me are are adorable because I know that it's there's no strain whatsoever happening to them in this in this situation. Uh, but it, it's it's stuff like that to your point where if you know the the quote unquote gimmicks or you know the things that they did, the little tricks of how they made these things and quite frankly still make these things, uh, it it adds a whole other layer of of you know sweetness to it like how can you not love how um you know how how loving it is but i would also say too you know the you, you talk about the the grayscale you talk about the way that it's shot you know it's interesting because you know black and white movies back in the day the way to show uh color quote unquote or, or or texture was costumes it was lighting it was ways of showing depth through you know, grayscale. Uh, and they do a really beautiful job in this. The costumes are really beautiful. I thought that, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things we've, we've talked obviously, uh, at length about Carrie's hair. I think her hair looks so good in this. I love <laughs> the headband that she has in her hair. Mm-hmm. Like it works so perfectly for the period. Um, there's, you know, obviously she's a beautiful woman, but there's a symmetry mm-hmm. to her face and the roundness of it with every sort of this very symmetrical world that she's a part of. Um, I mean, that's the thing too about the Twilight Zone or about shows back in the 50s and 60s, which is they're very sparsely designed. Um, you know, you had very little art direction or production design really in a lot of these shows. It was all very sparse, um, which now seems strange. I mean, we expect all rooms to look and feel lived in, whereas back then they didn't care about such things. Yeah. Um, so it's it's also interesting to sort of see that design element that they're playing into it as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I was really just sort of, I don't know. It's I loved it. I loved everything about it. I um, speaking of Buffy, just to rewind real quick. There's a quote here uh, asked if this episode's otherworldly feel came out of Buffy envy. Abrams replied, "I am enormously envious of shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer with its life or death issues. No one's necessarily going to try to kill you on Felicity." Still, he wasn't solely out to summon uh, goosebumps. Serling created the Twilight Zone so you could tell stories as anthologies. Sorry, as analogies. Uh, there is something underneath the story about this girl's search for love and her frustration in doing so. Um, so again, like an acknowledgement that Buffy can do things that he can't uh, and mm-hmm. that he would then sort of try to do, I guess, with his future shows in terms of higher stakes. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to hear him talk about Buffy because, I don't know, like those are two shows that are existing at the same time. I mean... Alias is on while Buffy is on as well, right? Buffy ends in, when does Buffy end? 
It's like Buffy ended in two thousand four. Right. Okay. So Alias has been on for three or four years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Lost premieres in 05. But it, it's just, it's it's interesting to sort of see these two kind of titans of industry that would go on to have these amazing careers and just the acknowledgement of each other in it, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Now I like um, that quote a lot. And I, you know, for those of us that were part of the moment and watching both of these at once, yeah. um, or even Alias for that matter, it's you do, they're kind of like distinct to you, but to hear them acknowledge the other. And also there just was, we've talked about this, but there's not as much content back then. And so it was easy to be very aware of like the thing, the it thing. And what is Buffy doing when you're Felicity on the same network? Um, Yeah, I think it was great. And I just going back to, I feel like I'm adding nothing insightful because I'm just so, that's completely inaccurate. You are absolutely Uh, being insightful. But we have to talk about Carrie's face because you brought it please, up. Um, yeah, please. She's always flawless. She's clearly, <laughs> you know, a stunning human being and, and beautiful. But she is very symmetrical. And she, in this lighting, it makes her almost porcelain yeah. looking, which adds another layer because they're dolls in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just... She does. She gets it. She's the whole face of it. I mean, even if she was hideous for some reason, like yeah. they, she just gets what she is doing in this. And um, yeah, it's great. You know, we could it, also it, do a whole episode on Julie and this episode, which I would like to talk about Julie in this episode as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you all could see Meg's face. Julie doing Julie. Julie. <laughs> yeah, she is kind of doing, doing Julie. I mean, it's it's one of those things too where when when you realize that Julie has and and I do want to walk through the plot, but uh, when you realize that she's been to the clinic, I'm like, yeah, of course, fucking Julie's been to the clinic. Yeah, it's of, very course she's, of course, she's on brand. Very on brand. Very quick to throw her friend into the fire, but um, it's it's interesting nonetheless. Um, but to, to walk through the plot really quickly, Felicity is working at, it seems like it's still Dean and DeLuca because they don't take the, they don't take the, the sign off the window. But, um, this woman comes in, uh, who sees her grappling with the love triangle that is, that is this show in a lot of ways, um, and comes up to her, uh, sees that she's struggling with love and gives her a business card for the clinic. And, uh, so Felicity, is sort of she's she's truculent. She doesn't really want to do it or reluctant to do it. And then uh, she says "fuck it" and she makes the phone call. And that's when we hear Janine Garofalo's first uh, uh, <laughs> voiceover as Rod Serling, where she says, "You know, Felicity Porter, blah blah blah," uh, making a phone call that will change her life forever, something to that effect. Um, she goes to the clinic. She says that line, which which we both love about how she wants to get rid of these feelings, and she's tired of having these feelings. The doctor comes in and gives her something to drink which we never really find out what that is, but who cares? Uh, but she freaks out when he brings out one of those really ancient 1960s syringes that are so gigantic that you think that they're like for injecting horses or something like that. Like, yeah. it's just crazy. Uh, and she runs away. Uh, and she meets Elaine in the library who tells her, she tells her about the clinic. Um, and I, this is the thing. And you know the original episode better than I do. But what I love is that they found a way to get a Felicity Elena library scene in this episode. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a trope of the show, which is that, you know, they're always at libraries, always having conversations at libraries, but that they get to find a way to do that and inform this episode is also very brilliant. Um, she sees a sickly man in the stacks. (laughs) 
<laughs> who tells her to not go to the clinic. Uh, she says she rejected them, and he says they're doing it to you already. Which is like, I mean, I know enough about the Twilight Zone that like the act outs are so perfectly Twilight Zone act outs. Yeah. Everything. And the casting too. That man, the woman who originally gives her the card, that woman could have been yeah. pulled out of an original episode. I mean, oh, again, so too, the styling, the the makeup, the acting, the face, her just physical, mm-hmm. look, it's, yeah, it's like eerie. That woman doesn't, she doesn't blink. I'm pretty no. sure she doesn't blink. <laughs> She's just got no. these. Just, she's got such an eerie vibe to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so then she, then the woman comes back to the cafe the next day, um, and and basically is like, "You got to go back to the clinic." And Felicia's like, "I don't want to." She calls the clinic, says, "Stop harassing me." Now, this is one of my favorite parts, which is that night, Felicity's laying in her dorm room, and the dictaphone starts to whisper to her, "Open sixty-seven." Yeah, which is like again. So JJ to have like a number and a thing that needs to be opened, yeah. um, and that it's the dictaphone, which is so emblematic of this show. I just I I love it. What it's also just creepy. It? It's like the the <laughs> voice is really creepy. I just love that they brought so much. You know, Twilight Zone could be not horror all the time, but it is. Mm-hmm. It's like got a scary movie element to yeah, it, yeah. and it's unsettling. Um, but yeah, to have this thing that's almost like. Felicity's security blanket be this thing that actually is yeah. almost like a bad omen or it's like there is no tape in it and it's still talking and it's you know it um yeah. again all the little things that they brought in that still tied back to the the original series um I think it worked really well yeah it's just it's I mean and again I don't mean to belabor the point but the ability to be able to find ways to take the original episode of the show and find ways to have it speak to Felicity today and not in jarring ways. Like this is all very organic, which mm-hmm. speaks to this shouldn't work. <laughs> like this yeah. just should not work. And yeah. Well, what they did, you know, I, I wish I could sit and talk to JJ about this specific thing because I just have, so, even in the stuff I've read, I have a question about the way they did the episode because the first half, the clinic stuff is just fully original material and just like this brilliant story that is very on brand with Felicity, but feels mm-hmm. Twilight zone And then it's when they wake up in the box and it's almost like pulled from the original episode and the, you know, the cinematography is the same and some of the lines are the same and why, you know, they chose to marry those two things, why they just, I mean, they, it's not in half, but they like divide the episode in like two yeah, thirds like, and a yeah. third. And it's, yeah. um, and one is almost, you know, it is, it is the Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Um, but yet they still work so well together and, um, all feel very on brand for, um, both shows, yeah, it's- actually. It's, you know, as we get through the plot, there's, there's a clear seam point. There's like a, a moment when they're essentially done with it, you know, with, with the first two thirds and then they pivot to them being in the box, mm-hmm. um, which when it first happened, it was a little jarring to me. And then I was like, well, no, I mean, ultimately it works because they're speaking to each other. Both these stories are speaking to each other and whether or not we get a quote unquote resolution to uh, the clinic storyline versus the box storyline 
is is moot. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, at this point, Julie finds Felicity in the library, tells her she needs to go back to the clinic. Julie tells her she had the procedure. Felicity asks what the treatment is. Julie's like, "Well, I can't tell you that." Um, and then <laughs> Felicity gets a weird like night cleaning job at some sort of a laboratory or morgue, which weird, whatever. It's so weird. weird. <laughs> so weird but like i understand the necessity of it but it is one of those things where all of a sudden she's just like i got a new job and i'm a janitor in a morgue just like her overnight little janitorial duties sweeping whatever yeah yeah i feel like on some level they were just like she obviously needs to go to a morgue she needs to open you know the the night uh, the number 67 um they could have probably found a less weird way to do it but it yeah. is what it is um so she sees that that the and this is one of those morgues and i'm assuming back in the 60s this is what they were like which is that they didn't they on top of having drawers in morgues where you would pull somebody out of a fridge you also had these sort of bins these like metal mm-hmm. bins um and one of them has the number 67 on it the way that the bin opens is so phenomenal Amazing. i can't really it just opens in a way that I can't really articulate, but it's eerie and it's slow. And she has to pull this weird lever in order to open it. Um, and then the body starts to talk to her. <laughs> but ah, that's so good. It's so good because <laughs> his mouth doesn't move. It's like no. back in the day, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm going to assume it was production oriented. Uh, they, people's like when, when dead bodies spoke, or whatever, like heads would just move and look at you, but mm-hmm. you'd hear them talking to you. And yeah. it, it, without, it makes it so much better. I can't explain why, but it's just, it's the best. And it's very Twilight Zone. Yeah. That moment feels, again, the whole scene is like, what is happening? And why is this weird stuff happening? And why is she there? But it feels, Truly, just from the second she like looks, she's sweeping and looks up and sees the 67 and the cut in her eyes. And um, it is just, it's so, it is so Twilight Zone. It's so good. He reveals that he has a scar over his <laughs> chest, on his chest, uh, where his heart has been. He basically tells her that this is how they cure a broken heart. They tear your heart right out of your chest. <laughs> yeah. Which is the best. Um, And she obviously runs to the clinic to confront the doctor about what's going on. Um, And of course, the doctor and the nurse are like both coming at her from either side of the of the hallway. Uh, She distracts them by throwing the glass heart that she received the uh, the business card in uh, at the wall. Um, They all seem like surprised and and legitimately kind of. shocked by how it breaks like there's a part of me that's like they only had like two hearts so they like threw one and everyone was like oh that's how it breaks okay uh so which is kind of great um then she goes to Noel for comfort she fears she's going crazy and hallucinating all of this uh and then there's a really great part here which i want to get your thoughts on where Noel says to her that everyone has their addictions he tells her that love is her vice and then tells her that she's his vice um, there's something really, I mean, again, this speaks to how this episode really does have echoes of what's going on in the show, Felicity, mm-hmm. um, because something like this, and this is why I think this episode is actually important, which is that it can say things about the show that the show can't do in its own episodes. Mm-hmm. So you can have something like this where you can be so bald about 
your themes and about what you're trying to say because it's the 60s and subtext was not as prevalent. <laughs> um, but I love it so much. And it does speak to, for me anyway, their relationship moving forward. How did you feel about it? No, I felt the same way. Um, in And in the importance of it within, you know, the Felicity, everyone says it's not canon. And I actually do feel like it is because I agree. again, it's really the first time we see Felicity being really reflective on mm-hmm. her love life and mm-hmm. the actions she takes with these men and her friends and how it impacts her, you know, world outside of just her little bubble. And then it's Noel saying that to her, which is never something he would say in real life, just sitting there. But it speaks to where the show does go. I do think, you know, on the flip side of that, it's very strange that Ben is so kind of light in the episode because the prior episode is him really going hard on trying to get back with her or realizing he has feelings with her. Um, And, you know, the, the cliffhanger. But it's it's interesting they did it with Noel. It was a great reveal because, yeah, I think we all know that, like, of the two, Noel is the one that's always just kind of there and, and will be there for her, the sweet puppy dog mm-hmm. guy. But uh-huh. um, to hear him say it so explicitly is yeah. is really fascinating. And it, it just continues. I mean, it is. It's just so representative of the relationships in the show. I mean, Elena has moments with Felicity like that too. Mm-hmm. Elena's just pulled out of a regular episode and plopped into yeah. this. I just, yes. I don't, um, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I fully agree with that. I, I think that, um, you know, the show being able to, this episode being able to underline, um, Felicity's perhaps unhealthy obsession with love to quote Moulin Rouge, weirdly. Um, but I, I, I think that... Um, uh, my other favorite movie. You're just bringing up all the faves today. No, Moulin Rouge is the best. I, uh. I, I love it. But yeah, when he says to her, thank you for curing me of my unhealthy obsession with love. But um, but she does have this sort of... And perhaps it's a little bit indicative of her age and, and the place that she's in, um, you know, existentially and what have you. But, but I do think that him being able to say that to her... Uh, and for her to come back at him and say the line that we that I that I read earlier about how if you know not really hurting means not really feeling anything, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean I think that I think I I think we all kind of agree with Felicity on some level, right? Which is I mean I'm sure some of us have been burned harder than others by <laughs> love, and perhaps you know there's that, but um, it's just it's it's really fantastic that the show found a way to really crystallized these ideas and the way that they did that was through this experiment and through this, you know, through this episode, it's, it's really pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the, I feel the, like it you turns on itself at this point because Felicity then sees that Noel has the glass heart on his table. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I feel like you would miss something. I know it's a standalone episode, but for moments like that, I do feel like you're missing some of the essence of the show and where the relationships go. If you, don't watch and see that moment with Noel and Felicity where you don't hear Felicity kind of process and go through the entire, you know, the full gamut of, I don't want to, I'm, I'm brokenhearted. I need to be healed. I can't feel any of this anymore. Oh wait, what does it mean when I don't feel it? Oh no, I want to feel everything regardless of how much it hurts. Like that's Felicity in a nutshell. And that's Noel in a nutshell. And I think if you don't watch that, yeah, there's a million other times you're going to get to, to see these relationships continue to play out. But, um, it is essential within 
the arc of the show, I would say, for that reason. I, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that it's, you know, Felicity isn't a show that has fans in the way that genre shows do, right? Like if you're a Buffy fan or I, I mean, I guess there are Dawson's Creek fans as well and shows of this nature that people were fans of, but um, you can see as it's, as we talked about earlier, the JJ flex of it all in terms of the kind of nerd flex, but this show doesn't have the same sort of uh, honestly, the same sort of fans, right? And if you're a real fan of this show and watch this episode, you will see the echoes. You will see the ripples of how it, it is. It is not just a throwaway gimmick episode. It really does fold into the the character arcs of the show. Um, it doesn't a disservice to say, oh, wasn't this cute? They did a black and white Twilight Zone episode when there's so much going on in it. Um, Felicity then sees Noel has the scar on his chest uh, and he flips out on her uh, and tells her that the only way through their drama is for everyone to have their hearts taken out, basically. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then Noel tells Felicity to take a deep breath and she doesn't really understand what he means by that. And he says, because that's how anesthesia works. And now she's on the operating table um, and she's had her heart taken out. Um, and that's basically sort of it. Now, you know, I love the take deep breaths anesthesia component of it. I'm not really sure how logistically it works because I'm not really sure how we got from A to B, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just kind of hop around there. There's these three moments where we're like, Nolan Felicity, Felicity's yeah. heart's gone, box. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yeah. Uh, it's a great, I love the shot, the reveal of of the the scar on her she's she's got obviously she's she's covered up so she's not revealing herself but it's it's done in a mirror from this high angle that looks like sort of from an operating it's in an operating room mm-hmm. it's a great moment it's a great shock um then she wakes up after the commercial break and she's in a box there's no scar on her chest she's like oh it must have been a dream which again like sure fine whatever i mean sure. I, I don't i don't really it's it's one of those things where and I don't, you've watched more Twilight Zone than I have. And, you know, I haven't watched a lot of television from the 60s, but they play it pretty fast and loose, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of audiences, like we've spoken, weren't as savvy back then as they are now. They didn't watch television with this, the discerning eye that they watch TV now with. Um, so you could get away with flying through stuff and just breezing past things, which yeah. obviously they weaponize in this episode, which I'm completely fine with. Yeah, Twilight Zone, there's very... I would say more often than not, there is no real explanation for why things are happening or you're just bopping Mm -hmm. around um, like you're in a town and then all of a sudden you're somewhere else and uh, there's very little explanation for it. So it works within that context. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Once we're in the box, there's a couple, there's a few things that I really love. I love that the characters just materialize out of the shadows. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, each of the characters kind of just show up um, which is fantastic. Um, I love Noel saying I've been in college for three years and basically have no friends, which like of his own, which I think is sort of true. Right. Which is that like, did he have any social circle before Felicity came into his life? Like short of his brother showing up at one point, like you really just have no sense of Noel having any life before Felicity. No. Um, just, uh, (laughs) Jennifer Garner. That's just Hannah, who I need to get your thoughts on her coming back in the final five episodes. We'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) I 
like, I, I need to rewatch. I don't have, I don't have like the most memories no, and other than again, you know, Ben, <laughs> just Ben, Ben's the memory. <laughs> um, uh, I love that Nalena says none of us can remember anything before college, which again speaks to sort of the metaphor of these television characters existing in some sort of weird vacuum that have no real time or space prior to it. Um, Julie saying, I wish I had my guitar and Noel saying, thank God you don't have your guitar. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) I don't want to be mean because Amy Jo Johnson was great. Like her her music was great. great. She's a great actress, but like, I get, I just feel like there are moments in this where they are just speaking for the audience, especially right Mm -hmm. now. I think they're speaking for both people who can relate to that moment, Mm -hmm. but also that to me is like, and Noel being so just like cutthroat. I, I, that was just the funniest. It's fantastic. It's, this is the thing about that perhaps people who watch television or fans of television might not completely understand, which is why an episode like this is such a gift. It's such an opportunity to be able to free yourself of the shackles of quote unquote, the reality of your show and that you can comment on the things that exist in the show. It gives you a freedom to be able to say like, we know what we're doing. Like, I know you love these characters, but it's a little silly that X, Y, and Z. And I think that that's such, I mean, I, I can't sort of, I can't highlight that enough mm-hmm. as to why, you know, a right, why JJ would want to do it, why the writing staff would want to do it, why, why the directors and the cast, like, think about how much fun it must have been to make this episode, to be an actor wearing these costumes, to be, to be free of all of the sort of preconceived notions of your character. I mean, thinking about what Carrie gets to do in this in this episode um, to be able to sort of deconstruct Felicity like a doll and be able to sort of look at all the pieces of her, like a butcher's block is, is really pretty amazing. It is. And once they're in the box, the care with which all of those actors are handling the performances. um, Mm -hmm. I, it feels like you can, the respect they have for both JJ and Matt and then Twilight Zone itself. Um, it's just kind of like just flowing out of the TV at you. Oh, I, totally. especially again, I do encourage you to go and watch this original episode because I will, I will. of the Twilight Zone, because when you were talking about when they're clearly laying on the ground and climbing up and out and like the straining, they, they are doing okay. that exact thing in the oh, original episode and, and coming out of the shadows, that is that moment. And I just think they're not um, not trying to emulate the performances exactly, but the yeah. just the the tribute they're paying to that and and the, the reverence, clearly the yeah. importance that it, yeah. you know it held for them to do that justice was lovely. Oh, there's I I, I mean I don't doubt it. I feel like I didn't do my homework. I should have watched that episode. Um, oh. But and I appreciate that you did very much so. But I I I think that to your point, the whole thing is such. Again, it's reverence, but it's it's also look at what it's giving us. Like it's giving us this ability to be able to it's giving us a whole new lens to to see this show through, which for everyone involved is the truly the greatest gift you could ask for. Um yeah. 
it's it's really 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 impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know we talked a little bit about the ending, but essentially they crawl over each other. Felicity is able to crawl out of the box. She falls down, or first she screams in horror at what she sees outside the box, and then she and then she falls. Uh, and then we cut back to the box, and everyone's like, "What's there? What's there? What's their side?" Blah blah. And then Megan picks up one of the little dolls and says, you're going back in your box with all your friends. Um, and then she closes the box and that's the end. Um, and it's great. Uh, I also just love that, th- that it's, that it is the same box, right? Like it, it's completely out of period and completely makes no sense for it to be there. Um, yeah. but that's what's so perfect about it. Like all the stickers all over it, all the like punk rock craziness is all over that, that toolbox that, that Megan has, um, feels so anachronistic, uh, and yet works so, so well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean, want to take it personally that you skipped over Ben's moment in the box. No, I actually was about to, I was, I was, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to. But wow. So we moved ahead. I want to I want to talk about Ben and No, 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 no. I want to talk about it too. I really do. I was holding on to that to talk about but God bless you for your love of Ben Covington. It's just this um, moment that he gets in the box is truly like again, I it was just it felt like a wink and a nod to the audience thinking Ben's just like dumb and <laughs> simple simple is the way to yeah. put it um, basically yeah. what happens is they're all talking about their futures and ben's like but i don't have a future <laughs> <laughs> and then noel's like yeah you don't <laughs> that's so basically good. what it was it's great <sighs> um but it is definitely a um so so this is my question because we're going to talk about ben's future for a second here okay and I know you haven't seen seasons yeah, three and four in a while. Uh, a yeah, no, I, I really only have to remind you of of a couple of things. Okay, uh, Ben becomes a doctor, Meg. What? Really? Ben goes to medical school and becomes a doctor. Now and you wonder, you wonder why I believed in Ben from the beginning. I I've always knew he had it all in him. He did it. Yeah. I mean, some would label that as delusional because Ben is never going to be a doctor. Ben is never going to get through med school. Um, so it's one of those, and I say this not as to be derisive of his character because I really do, and I'm going to explain to you why I think as much as it annoys me that she should end up with Ben at the end of the series. Whether or not she ends up with Ben forever, we can debate that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that I really appreciate that they want to take Ben from being, you know, a, a, a dumb golden retriever and turn him into a person of substance. I appreciate that and that he appreciates that about himself and wants to be a better person. All of that is great. That's that's good TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they overshot <laughs> by making him a doctor. <laughs> There's a bunch of things that they could have done uh, or careers that they could have done or even just been specific about it in the sense of him wanting to be a a sports physician or something along those lines so that I see the connective tissue, but instead it feels like, well, I want to hang out with Felicity more. So I guess I need to go to medical school. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not a good enough reason. Uh, I will give you that. I didn't remember any of that, but um, yeah, but you know what? Ben just floated about college. He was Mm -hmm. having affairs. He was, swimming and making coffee and (laughs) breaking hearts 
and you know putting them back together. (laughs) I just, you know, Ben could do it all. Ben could do it. I'm just picturing you wistfully (laughs) thinking about Ben making you coffee, and it's just, uh, it's great. But um, I, I, I really do want to sort of get on team Ben with you for a second here for the end of, of the series. And, and I know that you don't remember all the, the mechanics of it, but uh, from, from 30,000 feet, essentially what happens is uh, Felicity travels through time uh, and is, is essentially put in a mental institution. <laughs> oh and God. Ben is the only one who believes her. Um, so <laughs> you guys can I wish see. I had, I wish I had a screen grab of that look on your face. It's it literally screamed isn't Ben the best? This is why we believe in Ben. I this is why we believe in Ben. He um, comes through. So, <laughs> he comes through. He comes through. Yeah, sure. He comes he comes through. Uh and and again, I you know, we had this discussion a little bit uh when when you were on for the love bug. Um and and my my beef has always been that Felicity brings more to the table for Ben than Ben brings to the table for Felicity. Um, I just think that Felicity is a more complex character. And I think that she, quite frankly, and this might sound crazy to say this, but like deserves someone of that weight. Um, And they do their best to bring him to that place by the end of the series. So that to some degree, when he says, I believe you, um, and 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 is essentially the skeleton key that gets her out of this time travel situation that she's in. Um, it does go a long way to at least making me believe that they should be together at the end of this series. Now, Ben has a lot of explaining to do, and I don't know if Ben and Felicity are together still, <laughs> but I think that for an end of series, they found a way, they were, listen, they had to have them end up together, right? Like there wasn't a world where they didn't. So they did it in a way where and again i'm i'm just telling you because i know you don't really remember but like the show ended after 17 episodes they wrote a season uh and it ends with felicity going back to palo alto to study medicine mm-hmm. and ben follows her there so there's uh, a symmetry to- <laughs> full circle <laughs> it's like i've never seen the show i'm sorry i just i did not no, 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 no. And listen, I think most people have blocked out the end of Felicity. Um, and, and I would say unjustly, because I do think that the show finds a way, to your point, to have him meet her. Like this idea that she followed him and now he's following her, I think is a really beautiful, nice way to end the show. That's how it ends at 17. Then they get five more episodes and they have to figure out a way <laughs> to do five episodes of time travel or whatever that, you know. And, and I appreciate the swing and, and, and we're going to have, uh, Lawrence Trilling and Josh Reams are both going to come on to talk about these final episodes. And I'm very curious to talk to Josh Reams about sort of how you break this after breaking 17 episodes, which is crazy. Yeah. But I think they find a way to, in a very kind of, uh, uh, Tammy and, and Eric Taylor way find a way for him to to come to her and say you know it's it's your turn like you deserve this and it's my turn to be at your side um, that makes me like Ben I mean that makes me that makes me think that this guy understands the mistakes he's made uh, and why you know all of that I also love at the end of season two when he brings her the canister and says it's a time machine I mean listen <laughs> 
Ben is Ben. I, I have not given Ben the credit that he deserves. I think I've always been so staunchly team Noel that I haven't been able to fully recognize the fact that they do go out of their way to make Ben a better character by the end of the show and worthy of Felicity's affections. So I think he is more thoughtful than he gets credit for. Like the episode before this one, when they're back from Christmas break and he tells Sean, like, I think your advice was bad. I do want to be with Felicity. And just the moment when they're back at Dean and DeLuca and he, I mean, Mm -hmm. he's too slick for his own good because he's literally just like, thank you. As I say, smile talking at her across the counter. <laughs> the entire series, he smiles through every line of dialogue. Yes, I you, I got you on board. I am so happy because this has been a lifelong mission to get <laughs> recognition for Ben's smile talking skills. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's like, but but you see, I think you see two things in that moment alone. I know that was the episode prior, but. Mm-hmm. Felicity's fighting it. She's just like, what's yeah. going on here? But she has those feelings for him. Ben is completely genuine in his feelings. I want to get back with her and you know, he'll, he'll mess up and do things again, but it just took a lot. It just took a lot for them to get there. It took spanning time for them to finally get there. Um, yeah. I, I do appreciate now that you're saying that I didn't remember about the Ben believing her thing, but I'm a huge humongous horror fan um Mm -hmm. horror movies are my favorite they're getting me through quarantine and wow i oh it's the i'm the exact opposite (laughs) i have enough anxiety in my life it just makes me even more anxious but i appreciate that that's you know know, same i don't know why it has the opposite effect you know i have the same feelings as you but i love it um But I, I, my one thing in life, and I say it to my husband every time we watch a horror film is if I tell you something's happening, you better believe me. You will not gaslight me. You will not say this. Like, and for Ben to be there, I just, I'm doubling down on my Ben love now that you're telling me. That's to be so funny. It's very important. Yeah, uh, it, it's important. very important. I mean, <laughs> it, it should be said that Noel doesn't necessarily not believe her. I mean, he certainly believes her less than than Ben. Ben, and again, I don't mean to get into the weeds on this episode, but essentially what happens is she tells him that his dad is sick and that he's going to call him and tell him that he's sick. And then Ben gets a phone call saying that his dad is sick. And that's sort of the thing that makes me, they, that makes him go, oh shit, she's telling the truth. The difference, of course, is that she doesn't give Noel that weapon. So Noel doesn't have that tool in his belt to be able to be like, oh, she is telling the truth. Um, it, Such well, a Noel defender over there. Well, Look at you. <laughs> it's a little bit different. I mean, she does tell him some stuff from the future. It doesn't matter. Long story short, obviously Ben deserves to, to it, it all works out in the end. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting to your point that, you know, that the most important thing is to be believed that he believes in her, that he believes her and believes in her is something yeah. that is, I mean, that's what we all look for in a partner. It's what we look for in our friends. It's what we look for in the people that are most important to us. So I, you know, I spent, you know, two over two hours talking with Joanna Robinson about these five episodes. And in some regards, we were kind. In some regards, maybe we weren't. Um, <laughs> but the more I think about it, the more I appreciate not just the swing, but how effective it was emotionally and that they tried to still be true to the show, be true to the characters. Um, 
series finales are really fucking hard. And, you know, it's they're hard on a good day. But then when you actually do a good job and then they tell you to do five more of them, it's like, I don't know. I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, do you have, while we're on the subject, briefly uh, before we wrap up, but do you have favorite series finales? Ooh. Um, I would have prepped for this question because I definitely <laughs> do. <laughs> Mine are all just very... Um, you know, more, more sentimental, more comedy based. Like I think mm-hmm. Parks and Rec was perfect or right. was perfect. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the office was pretty perfect. Um, I've, in addition to horror films, Schitt's Creek has gotten me through yeah. for the first time ever <laughs> has gotten me through quarantine. I can't believe we just found it, but that was perfect. I think they're a little bit easier to stick the landing on. Obviously mm-hmm. there's not that emotional stakes. Um, like the Buffy was not one for me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, an amazing face. Um, because it's yeah, hard yeah. when you're like, that is the thing that I was part of that fandom. And that was disappointing. I think Dawson's Creek was amazing. Um, you know, issues here and there, but like, I was definitely into the, the ultimate way that it ended. Um, and I love the lost finale. I am of Look the, you. that's, that's yeah. you and Joanna Robinson. You know, yeah. I, I need to, I, I started, this is one of those things where, and I don't know if you're dealing with this in the pandemic, but I certainly am, where um, it feels like you have endless amounts of time, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? You're just like, oh, well, I have all this time, so why don't I do a rewatch of a thing that I love or whatever the case might be? But there's also so much new shit or so many things that I haven't seen that are either from the last couple years whatever that I'm sort of struggling with. Do I want to do a lost rewatch knowing that the time commitment that goes into that. I really would love to. I was not a hater on the finale uh, in the way that a lot of people were. Um, Just to to pause it on on series finales for for a quick second, I do think that we live in such a different world now um, where creators are able to pull the plug on their own shows and or or know that a show is only going to be X amount of episodes. Um, You know, the streaming world, the cable world have really given those writers, those opportunities and, and Mike sure to a, to a degree on, on the good place where he was like, it's four seasons and we're done. Um, great series a, finale. Sorry. Great Amazing. Finale. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, but this is, this is a kind of a long winded way of saying that part of the problem, I think with a show like Buffy, um, or even a show like lost, even though lost got to end on its own terms at a certain, you know, at a certain point they're like, this is it, this is what we're doing. Um, it, it's, it's so hard in the broadcast model that used to exist where it's like, can you please make 500 episodes of this thing that, that, uh, that people love? And then when you could not care less about it at this point, can you please make us something (laughs) really emotionally resonant and satisfying? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very hard. Uh, ending a broadcast show, I would argue is exceedingly more difficult than ending a cable show, uh, or a streaming show. I, um, Yeah, I think, you know, I think you just, there's like a suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. with this a little bit with Dawson's, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I didn't. I, you didn't, I, I was not, I told you last time, like I wasn't allowed to watch Dawson's, so I was kind of in and out on it. Um, Racy for you. (laughs) Really crazy racy. Um, Just a a real, you know, Mm -hmm. I I question anyone who watched it because of moral issues. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) but Lost and The Leftovers, I'm not just yes. a Damon person, I promise. Mm-hmm. But I think 
they're the same thing. I didn't, I don't need all the answers and I don't need yep. everything to just wrap up in a bow as long as it's uh, six feet under perfect finale right. of, of all time. My favorite show ever. Yeah. Um, oh, is it? I've been wanting to do a rewatch of that. Um, you should rewatch that. It's the best. But I, yeah, I think um, maybe that's why I'm more forgiving too of the of felicity of it all because mm-hmm. you know they had an opportunity. They were told to make more. They made more, and they did something with it, just like they did with this Twilight Zone episode. And you know, ultimately, sorry to bring it back to it, but Felicity and Ben ended up together, so we've <laughs> <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> I want to say one quick, one last thing very quickly about, about finales, which I talked with Joanna a little bit about, and I'm curious uh, to hear your thoughts on it as well, uh, is I think that there's a, an unfortunate misnomer that comes with genre shows versus um, <clears throat> non-genre shows. Uh, and I think it's that, that the mythology matters. Um, and I think that that is, that's a, that's a, that's a fandom problem. Mm-hmm. That's when it, that's when people forget what's important. Um, what's important are the characters. What's mm-hmm. not important is the smoke and mirrors and, and jazz hands that are going on in the background with your numbers or your dragons or your whatevers. It's, it just doesn't ultimately matter. And if the showrunners put too much importance on mythology when they try to end their shows, I think um, they make the, the, the mistake of not putting it all in on character, which is, I think, the major misconception about the end of Lost, which is yeah. that, yes, they had arguably one of their worst episodes. The Alice and Janney episode is not good, but it was an episode <laughs> to basically be like, here's a fucking bucket where you can put all your mythological bullshit if you want. And then we're going to spend the rest of this series trying to deal with the characters and making you care about the characters. Um, and, you know, it's the mistake that Game of Thrones makes, which is, a whole bunch of them, but ultimately becoming a show about spectacle rather than a show about uh, about its characters, which is what people ultimately really loved. Um, so I guess my question to you is, you know, Buffy, which is a show that I didn't see every episode of Buffy, um, did you feel like they didn't, like, was it a mythological issue? Was it a character issue? I, I wouldn't say it was character, so maybe it was more mythology-based. Um I think sometimes, though, your feelings on the series finale are very tied to your feelings on the final season as a whole. And for Mm -hmm. me, I appreciated elements of things that Buffy did. It just became a very different series. And some of the, the, you know, you don't know the show, but like everyone becoming a slayer and all the young up and coming possible slayers. Like, I didn't like a lot of those actresses, sure. the, the characters that they were playing. And so it just like, it would take you out of it um, in the end. But I, I do agree the lost and leftover specifically to me, mm-hmm. you know, I think you could go back and watch all of lost and all of the leftovers again. And there are not answers to every single thing. They never tied up everything with a bow prior to getting to the finale and for me, it's the journey and the characters and the emotional resonance and um, I totally leftovers agree. clearly had that. Right. And, right. you know, the, the final shot of Lost is beautiful. And, you know, yep. no, I, I it's 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 <laughs> I loved it. As I, as I said to Joanna Robinson in the episode we had together, I, I think that the best television shows are about taking a group of people, uh, breaking them into a million pieces, and then spending the duration of your series putting them back together again so that at the end of the show, these people that you've grown to love can go off and have, you know, 
a great life or whatever yeah. the case may be. And I, I think that we don't we don't give enough credence to how fundamentally important it is that a series finale leaves you in a place like it's it's just it's so unfortunate that we live in a world now uh, where you know Twitter, film Twitter, all these whatever you want to call it, where so much importance is put on crazy things happening, where it just like it's 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 a little bit of the Ryan Murphy thing. It's a little bit of the like what's the noisiest, stickiest, or whatever fucking word you want to associate with it that'll trend on Twitter so that people are talking about your show, um, and that's not good. That's not good for TV. So yeah. I'm. I, I'm glad to see people like Damon Lindelof and Mike Schur and whoever it is that that really are just focused on telling the best stories they can and making sure that the characters, uh, you know, leave us in the best way possible. So, yeah, anyway. you're making me think of Justified, too, which I feel That's was a perfect, perfect like total yeah. character driven and what yeah. a nice little wrap up for all those people. For yeah. sure. I mean, The Americans is another example where, you know, that was a show that I think a lot of people were expecting a very sort of flashy, crazy ending. Um, and that show ends in a very somber, very sort of existential as it should. I mean, it was akin to the show that came before it. Same with Mad yeah. Men, same with these shows that understand what they are and they're going to end on their own terms and they're going to end that's best for the show, not what's best for the viewers. So. Sorry, I can't let you wrap up without saying Breaking Bad. I'm ashamed. Like yeah, my all time favorite show. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. No, Breaking Bad is phenomenal. I, I, uh, and, I mean, Vince Gilligan is, I mean, a genius. His shows from, from people that I know that have worked in them or what have you. I mean, yeah. it's a swift watch and he's working on another level. Um, yeah, I mean, these, these are, we're very lucky that we live in a time where we have writers that are being given the power and the privilege to be able to end shows in the way that they want to end them. Um, yeah. And for the most part, save of, I don't know, say Game of Thrones, most of these shows are ending in a way that is, that is you know, with reverence to what came before it rather than um, trying to do something crazy and bombastic. Yeah. So that's yeah. sort of where I am. But anyway, I, I so appreciate you coming back to talk about this episode, Meg. I really, uh, I had Thank a blast. Thank you. So um, fun. It's, uh, and I hope that you'll come back for, for more TV or, or anything like that in the future. Look, I'm always available for anything. <laughs> ben, Buffy, sure, Breaking sure. Bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Well, Breaking Bad wasn't on in 99, but we're definitely going to do Buffy. So you're going to tie you're, things back. There's time travel. We could, I think we, we could figure it out. Work. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so funny. Buffy is, it's like the show. I feel like if, if you, of, of most of our guests, that's the show that most people want to talk about. People love Buffy. It's a great one. There's a lot, there's a lot to mine there, I would say. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and I, I look forward to exploring it. Uh, obviously when we do, however we do it, um, we'll figure out some way to do it, but, uh, it's awesome. just a little unwieldy cause it's this yeah. piece of the show. Um, but, uh, but we'll figure it out. Um, but well, thank thanks you for having for me. Of course, so of course. fun. Hey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Guys, it's me again. So now we have my interview with Robert Benedict, who plays Richard on Felicity. Uh, we talk about his relationship with Scott Foley and the cast, uh, specifically how he got the role, what it was like playing Richard, playing off of Scott Foley as Noel, and sort of the ups and downs that happened with that show. Uh, it's a really fun interview. He's a really great guy. So stick around for that. Thanks. Uh, welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Iskov. And with us today is Robert Benedict, who played Richard on Felicity. Currently, he's on Supernatural playing Chuck slash God. I, as I don't watch Supernatural, so I can't speak to that, but I'll take you at your word. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so... I want to sort of take us back to 99, and I guess for you, it's December of 98 that your first episode of Felicity airs, which is Finally, which was the one about the uh, the Winter Finals, and it was yeah, the last totally. episode that aired in 98, so it was sort of the winter finale. Yeah. Um, so where were you? Yeah, I guess I'm assuming you're living in LA at the time, but like, how did the show come into your life? So we were, I was watching the show with my wife, uh, at the time and we really liked it. We had, you know, we just come off watching like 90210 and Melrose Place and, and we loved those shows. So, um, Felicity really caught our eye. So we were watching and I was fans of the show. So when I got the audition, I got an audition, you know, um, early on, cause this is, what was that? Episode nine, I think. Yeah, episode nine. Like yeah. Um, and so I got an audition. I was like super excited. Oh my God, it's Felicity, that show we were watching. And so I go in and I do it. And, uh, and then I got a call back that same day. I go back in and I meet with JJ, who at the time, you know, JJ Abrams didn't, I didn't know who that was. Like, sure. He wasn't right, JJ Felicity's, Abrams yet. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but he is an amazing guy and, and just, you know, uh, he deserves everything he's gotten because he, you know, he had that even early on, right? Sure. So I go in the room with him, and he gives me another scene to do, and it's this scene with me and Felicity and, and Noel when I catch them making out in the mm-hmm. in the book in the stacks in the book stacks in the library, and uh, I say, "I'm going to report you. I'm going to report your ass." And I, it was the line, and like. I don't think he, I, th- I think he was smart to be like, I'm going to report you. I'm going to report your ass. I think it was like that. And I was like, and just for some reason in my mind, it was like, I'm going to report you. I'm going to report your ass. And it was like, because <laughs> I almost like said it all like differently than he had imagined it. I think he was like, sure. yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of became my, you know, I think that was maybe what got me the role. And, uh, and then, you know, and then we were off and it was just, it was awesome. I, I remember that very clearly just because it was my first episode and we shot it at USC and it was middle of the night. We were working all night long. And, um, and I remember I'm in a band and we had to cancel a gig that we had that <laughs> night. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I went in and, and did that scene. And I remember Carrie was really funny about it too. She's like, oh my God, JJ, are you hearing how he's doing this line? Are you hearing this? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so you auditioned and then you were called back in the same day. So that's yeah. that's a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, I I'm not an yeah. actor. I've done auditions for shows that I've been on, but yeah. that's so is yeah. It was the old days, that, right? I, when you actually right. you yeah. When um you know I went in first. I went in for I think it was just for casting and maybe maybe the director and then they call me back in. Yeah, same day. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those parts I think that they needed to cast quickly or something. Quickly, sure, sure. Yeah. So did you feel like in that moment when you sort of delivered the line in the way that you delivered it, do you feel like you kind of locked into Richard in that moment? Like, did, did, yes. did it feel like you were sort of like, I know who this guy is? Yes. Yeah. There was and not that I had planned it or that I sat there with it all night long. Obviously I just got the right. scene, but right. in that moment, and I think the thing that clicked with JJ about it. And again, it was one of those things when you get a role, it's just you make a choice and you're seeing it the same way that they're excited sure. about seeing it. And so in that in that moment, I did. I always kind of came back to that. I'm going to report your – like it was like <laughs> – I'm going to report your ass. Like he's so – he just is such a rule follower. Things were so important to him. Just follow right, the rules. Right. And especially when it came to Noel. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there's this very interesting, and obviously I want to hear your thoughts on this, but but the dynamic between Noel and Richard is interesting because it mm-hmm. it's it turns into a brotherly sort of situation, um, yeah. very much so. Um, but in the beginning, it feels like he's an authority figure and you're looking up to him and he's mm-hmm. disappointing you. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and and then it becomes you guys find level playing field to a certain degree where you understand, at least he starts to understand how ultimately psychotic you are and he's yeah. okay with it. Exactly. Um, yeah. But I guess, I, so that, so coming into it in that sort of, I guess to rewind for a second, when did you know you were coming back? I mean, they brought you back pretty quickly and you were in a good stretch of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember when I knew. I just, I, I just remember maybe a few weeks later getting a call sure. like, "Hey, they want you back to do another episode." And going, "Oh wow!" And the next episode I was in, I was just more of a sort of a guy in the dorm. I don't know if I had a lot to yeah. do, but I think I had a couple. I might have had a moment with Mandy, um, Megan, Mandy, you mm-hmm, know, that you, mm-hmm, you've mm-hmm. had on. Of course. Um, but then it was like then they kind of had started a little like storyline for me to do, um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I, I did a few more episodes that season. And yeah, one of the last ones, him and I were like living together <laughs> and I was, I was upset because he got home late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you had like face, you had like the cold cream on your face. I mean, they really, really went for it. And I, I, I really think that, that, and, and I, I'm trying to think of the best way to, so this show really finds a balance in its humor. It and does, I think yeah. that it never sort of tips into being broad or at least too broad um i'd say you are the farthest flank like you are the character that goes kind of the farthest but i would also say that you know you don't feel like a caricature even if it's dangerously close at times it never fully tips yeah i think part of that's in your delivery and it's in your performance and how do you find that balance how do you sort of how do you keep him grounded and feeling like a real person i mean for me at all i mean that's my wheelhouse i love being the sort of uh, comedic relief on a drama Sure. You know, because I do, I do understand, like for me, it has to come from a real place, even though this is an outrageous person, he doesn't know he's being funny, Yeah, you know, that, and he's the ultimate example of like, he's not, he's not a, a cut up. He's actually a very serious person. It's just funny. It's just, it's yes. funny to not be him and look in on it. You're laughing at him. So he doesn't know it's funny. So I just, I just went back to the, trying to play the, the realism of, 
of being this just super intense person who was just like really all of a sudden just attached himself to Noel. Like that's, you're my, my good buddy, whether or not Noel wanted it or not, you know, uh, that's what he Sure. Wanted. Sure. And, yeah. And, you know, mean- and then they, they allowed me in season two and three, they allowed me to do some very serious subjects, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe, maybe Richard's gay. And yeah. then, um, and then I, I've actually, I'm, I'm a virgin and lost my virginity. <laughs> like yeah. some of the other, my friends, cause we all keep in touch the actors on that sure. show. And, a lot of them forget about those things that they had me do just because it's like, Oh my God. Right. I had sex with Tyra Banks. Like that was, that was my first. It's a hell of a first. I, mean, I know. Right. Listen, right. Good for Richard. Yeah, I know. And she's twice yeah. my size. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's something and, and that sort of speaks to the show as well. And it's, and it is a little bit of a, an anomaly, I guess, in JJ's oeuvre, if you will. I mean, he, he did a couple other character shows, you know, you're, your six degrees, your what about Brian's? But like this was the one that sort of that really clicked and really found an audience, um, and and sort of that groundedness, that almost Cameron Crowe kind of vibe that he wanted, that earnestness, that believability, yeah. um, and at the same time finding the levity and the humor and the silliness that that needs to exist and exist yeah. in everyday life, and and yeah. you being that flavor in the show, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And I guess right. sort of how did you how did you handle that responsibility? That's a great. I've never heard that before. The Cameron Crowe uh, comparison because it really is, you know, like you, you think about saying anything, you know, there are characters in that that are kind of that are crazy. Those are the characters you yeah. you you quote, you know, mm-hmm. um, because it's hilarious. But then there's such grounded, serious totally. topics in that movie. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, the writing was always so good on that show. Mm-hmm. I just went back to the writing. I didn't have to overthink it. You know, I just was having a great time with these people I loved working with and, you know, and, and Matt Reeves needs to be mentioned as well. It was, it was really Matt and, Matt and JJ doing it together. Um, they had a great bunch of directors, um, and sometimes they directed, um, so it just, it felt like even though the show never got the acclaim or the attention that like a Dawson's Creek got. Yep. We just, we felt like we were doing something. This is the beginning of all of our careers and we we're doing something really important. And I mean, just not important, like life changing, but just like, <laughs> you know, important, like, I don't know, significant, I guess. And um, so I just always went back to the writing because the writing was so good. Yeah. I mean, it, it does feel like it's a show that's standing the test of time, which also speaks volumes. So many shows have existed mm-hmm. in the history of television that no one talks about that just sort mm-hmm. of evaporate, even shows that that lasted perhaps as long as Felicity. But I do think that, I mean, obviously the JJ and Matt Reeves component makes the show and Carrie Russell and the amazing sure. cast, like all of right. these things. It's just, it's, it's just dated really well. And it's, yeah. and it's, you know, having done 20 episodes of this podcast on this show, this is, we're now at the tail end of it, but, um, you know, watching it through the lens of 2020, seeing how well it holds up really speaks volumes to your point on the direction. You know, we've had Lawrence Trilling on here a couple of times as well to oh, talk good. about it. And, yeah. and, and just sort of, you know, there, the, the, it's a, it's an earnest show, but it's a show about good people trying to, to do good things and become better people and all that sort of stuff in yeah. a way that isn't treacly and it doesn't feel like it's trying to, too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does, it does, it does stand up really well. It's still funny. It's still, it's still heartwarming. Yeah. Um, you know, and I it's, think too, it's also, Philip, you know, yeah, please, please. I think too, like it's, it's, I think you know this too. It's also, it was being made by people who are yeah. good people and, and, you know, it's sincere, uh, people who are doing it for the right reasons. And, and that, that trickles down, it trickles down from the top, you know? 
It does. And I would also say too, you know, we, we, as we record this, uh, in a pandemic and in an yeah. election year, we're in a very tricky time. Um, yeah. and to be able to watch this show, uh, and not, have issues with it says a lot too. I mean, mm. I, we, this is part of a, a much bigger podcast where we do movies and we do music. We do all sorts of things, all the stuff that existed in 99. And I, I can safely say that a lot of it does not age well. Um, mm. you know, there's a good chunk of stuff where you just find yourself being like, Oh God, like, why did they have to go down that road? Or why did these characters do this thing or mm-hmm. say this thing? And, and this show by and large really has very few hiccups. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that is a real testament to, to your point. Uh, everybody involved wanted to make something good to put out into the world. Uh, yeah. and that, that is not, um, that's a rarity, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Totally. And you know, it's funny. Uh, I remember 99 so well because of all these things that were going on. And, and I, I think just historically we look, I look back at that. I think, wow, that was, you know, 99, 2000 was really, I think about nine 11 as being, the end of an era and the beginning of a new era, you know, and, and I look back at 99 and there was all this potential and, you know, the, the change of the century and, you know, all these things happening. And, uh, it, it, it feels like it, it's, it's great that you're doing this podcast because it does feel like a a moment in time to, to, to take a picture of. It's a very, Um, it's a snapshot of a moment for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so that year, so we finished the first season and I was his roommate and there was rumblings that that would be sort of my mm. move to sort of a higher position mm-hmm. there. And then I got a pilot. I got a different pilot. Oh, no. And it sh- actually shot in France, which again, the, that would, they would never do that now. But they shot, <laughs> we, 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 for CBS, we shot this pilot, this World War II pilot in France. And I was in France for like a month. Um, and I came back and they were already underway at the second season. And our show didn't get, my show didn't get picked up. So I, I like sheepishly wrote an email to JJ and I was like, Hey, I'd love to come back if you guys will have me. <laughs> and That's she, amazing. Yeah, and then they, and then slowly they brought me back in. So it's it's really interesting, uh, you know, um, having obviously been having co-created a show, having been on staffs. Um, th- people don't know how the sausages are made, and it's better off that they don't let them just enjoy the television shows for what they are. Yeah. Um, but but you you know we had a I had Amy Smart on to talk about the Ruby character, and she she talked about her run, but also you know she went off to do a movie and and whether or not that might have had some sort of effect on why the character was was eventually perhaps written off. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's stuff like that where you're just like it's a bummer because I think. I think that, you know, Noel and Elena living together in season two has a lot of really fun stuff. But I think Mm -hmm. had Richard perhaps been a part of that trifecta, if it had been the three of you living together, seeing how those personalities might have bounced off each other, there's a lot of story that could have come from that, a lot of plot that could have come from that. Um, So it's it's disappointing, but at the same time, it's like, listen, you went to do your pilot and you should go to your pilot and hopefully that would have gone and it would have been great. Like, yeah, And I'm sure no one begrudged that decision. Like, that's just what people do. It's the business. Totally. but uh but it is definitely um it's you know it's an emotional roller coaster that we're it on is, in this man in this it is and you just kind of so, got to roll with it and you know you do. and you don't have a lot of control over it you know you don't no. um <laughs> so but i i i asked this question uh, of greg grumberg when we when i had him on but um the characters have a lot of fun using your character the writers have a lot of fun using your character as an agent of chaos yes um did you enjoy that? Are you the type of person that likes to fuck with people or is that just part I, of the fun of, of that? I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I enjoy acting it a lot. I am not that guy because I'm not that guy. Right. right? right, right, right. 
I'm actually the opposite of that guy. Um, chaos makes me nervous. People make me nervous. <laughs> and, <laughs> sure, sure. You know, and so, and I'm actually sort of pride myself on being kind of a, a nice, I try to be a good person, a good mm-hmm. guy. So uh, to be able to have the keys to go, right. Hey, go fuck with them. Go do whatever you want. You know what I mean? That, that right. was, that was great. And like right now I'm on supernatural and, I do play the character God, which is, it's always weird. You asked me that question and I was like, yeah, it's, I know <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird thing to say. Cause it's, um, it almost feels like it's being, I'm being egotistical, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 uh, but I turned bad. So I'm basically the big bad on supernatural this season and God's kind of bad. And he's, it's, it's cool what they're doing. He's like, he's writing the end of the show. God's saying it's over. Right. So, mm-hmm. But people ask me, like, do you, do, how do you feel about playing the bad guy? And I love it. It's so fun because I'm not that guy. Right. So it's fun, you know, to have the permission Absolutely. to do that. So with Richard, it was that way. I just, I loved being the guy that just completely caused chaos. Yeah. I mean, he, it, it really seemed, and I mean, it seemed like Richard obviously enjoyed it to a certain extent. I mean, mm-hmm. specifically, there's the episode where he knows about Noel and Felicity and right. he's using that to blackmail Noel. So he is getting to do things that he shouldn't be allowed to do, like installing a satellite in his dorm room, sure. uh, you know, hand, hand modeling. Hand modeling, yeah. <laughs> sure, as, I'm sure as one does. Barbecuing. Um, barbecuing, yes, all these things. Um, it, it's, it's great. That was a really great run of sort of that playing off of Noel and what have you. When did you and Scott kind of realize that there was a, a fun chemistry to the way that you guys played off of each other. Was it almost immediate or did it feel like it was almost immediate? Uh, he and I, uh, we actually figured it out after I got the role and after we started working together that we had worked together at a restaurant. We were waiters together at a restaurant in, um, (laughs) Beverly Hills. Uh, it was the Carnegie deli of Beverly Hills before it now it's, it's not there anymore, but, uh, yeah. So we were waiters and we were like, Oh, so we kind of had that connection. And then, uh, and also, I think he's from Missouri originally, and I'm from Missouri. We have that kind of connection. I think he's from Kansas City. Anyway, so, yeah, we kind of had a connection. And, and so, and, and I think it played in what we we're doing. He's a great straight man. Like, Foley is a great yes. straight man. Yes. And, and so it just really worked. I think the writers liked writing for it, and we loved playing it. Yeah, early on. Uh, you know, and as, as the series went on, they same with Grumberg. Grumberg and I just, we had a chemistry. It was a different chemistry because we were both yeah. kind of fu- funny dudes, but <laughs> physically we're so opposite. We're like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so we're kind of funny together. So they started pairing us together on stuff. And also our characters are similar in that we're both like schemers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can, it, it's it's really, you know, when when you're as lucky as, as the writers and, and directors were to have the cast of this show where you know you can basically pair anybody off and you're going to get something good, um, mm-hmm. that's also incredibly rare. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the bench is just so deep on this show, um, mm-hmm. even even with its recurring characters or even one-offs where, I mean, I, I, I should know this, I don't know this, but who do you know who cast this show? Who was the who casting cast, director? Uh, the, who cast Felicity? Oh, man. I should know that. I didn't mean to quiz you. I'm sorry. Whoever, whoever uh, it is, I should know that. Oh, I think it was, I think it was April Webster. Okay. Okay. That sounds April, right. Because April Webster casts all the JJ shows. So yeah. It it just you know it, it's it, it's a real testament to the casting directors and to to put together these casts. I mean, you've been in pilots, you've been on other shows. You know how rare it is for the planets to align and for that chemistry to all kind of work um, totally. is is really really special. So it, and 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 that sort of 
leads to my next question, which was, you know, what was it like on set? Did you did you feel the sort of camaraderie that the show radiates, at least on the screen? Did it feel that uh, way in real life? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And and you know, one of my favorite things to do, and I and I tell other casts this now because it it just doesn't happen anymore. Is after we block the shot, normally you go back to your trailer and you got twenty minutes while they light it, right? Mm-hmm. We would just hang out. We were just oh, there. It nice. was like it was in. Uh, I remember scenes in Greg's apartment, uh, in Greg Grumberg's character's apartment, and we'd all just hang out on the couches uh, while they're sitting for the shot because we just liked hanging out with each other. And uh, you know, Scott Speedman is still probably my best friend. I talk to him every day, and uh, you know, we're all still. Mandy's one of my best friends. Grumberg's one of my best friends. Like I just I love those people, and it, it it's because we you know it's like we were in college together. You know? I was just going to say, you know, there's there's something about the fact that um, first and foremost, you see that on the screen that the show has that hangout vibe of just wanting to hang out with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that lends to, uh, you know, it's a low stake show. Uh, you know, it, it it doesn't have life and death stakes like so no. much television does. So you have to love these people and you have to just want to hang out with them all the time. Um, at the same time, you guys are obviously older than the characters you're playing. So on mm-hmm. some level, there must be uh, some joy in the nostalgia of being able to just kind of veg out like a 20, 20 year old. Yeah, and not but although in, but in Hollywood, you know, when you're t- I was twenty nine. Uh, and the, and I'm, I'm about five years older than like Spieben and Foley and, mm-hmm. and Carrie. Uh, and, but when I was 29, it, I, I was still hanging out like I was 24. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we we're all, we all aged down a little bit in Hollywood. Right. Sure. Of um, um, and now I'm, now suddenly I'm turning 50 and I feel, I was like, what? I, I mean, I still in my body. You don't look 50. I, so you got, thank you, 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 you thank really, you. but, but it's, I mean, truthfully, I, it does feel like this town is, you know, uh, if everyone could stay frozen at a certain age, they would. Um, yeah. so I, I, I get that. Um, yeah. What do you feel like the differences? And obviously, these are two very different shows, but Felicity versus Supernatural, which are drastically dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you sort of, how do you kind of put your head into something that is deeply genre, deeply mm. sort of, you know, obviously mm. outside the norm and not grounded? Um, what is that like in comparison to Felicity, which was, you know, literally hanging out in a fake dorm in Culver City every day? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the you know, the set Supernatural is so great. It's uh, it's really been the first show to come along since Felicity that I felt a personal connection with. Um, and uh, it, it's like a family. Because again, the, but the show's been on for fifteen seasons, and uh, it's just finishing right now. Um, yeah, it's crazy, and it's it's definitely different. Like you said, very genre. It only has two series regulars. Uh, it's really just about these two two guys, yeah. and um, the rest for us are guesting on their show. But they're great guys, and again, it trickles down from the top, and they're really good guys. Eric Kripke created it, who's very JJ to me. They're very similar, I think. Um, so it has some similarities, but uh, acting wise, I think, like I said, you just kind of go, I still go back to the reality. I mean, like in these, you know, in like these episodes I'm doing this season, you know, I'm God, I'm God being <laughs> godly or whatever, but like, sure. I still got to find some kind of reality to bring it back to. I still have mm-hmm. to liken it to human emotions I have or, sure. or lack thereof, you know? Like, you know, I try to channel Donald Trump sometimes, you know what I mean? That it's that kind of egotistical um, mm-hmm. place that, that this character is in right now. But I, but I, I try to come back to reality no matter what I'm playing. Um, 
but yeah, no, Supernatural is similar to Felicity in that we really like each other rather than hanging out on the set. We'll hang out in, you know, somebody's trailer, but trailer we do, we, yeah, we still like hanging out together. Um, That's now awesome. though, now it's so crazy because yeah, now I'm, I mean. I'm just back up to, to finish the season. And, uh, yeah, I just went in to get, sort of get my, my haircut and stuff. And, uh, it was, it's bizarre out there. It's bizarre. Everyone's have you, you know. have you started filming anything yet? No, I start next okay. week. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I have, you know, obviously I, I have a bunch of friends. Uh, first of all, I'm from Toronto, so I have a bunch of friends oh. that are in Vancouver and, and, yeah. uh, uh, in Toronto that are sort of ramping up and getting back into production and getting into that whole thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's, you're seeing how they sort of film things now. Uh, it's, you know, it's weird. It's, it's weird. Different. Yeah. It's different. First I'm going to be very tested. It's going to be very interesting to see um, how, uh, you know, 10 years from now, when we look back on stuff that was shot during this period, whether or not yeah. it actually looks any different or if you could even sense any differences between the footage. Yeah. I, I mean, because it just feels like it's a strange time to be filming stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that, no, that's all for sure. But, for sure. It's going to be um, interesting because like we stopped yeah, on yeah. episode, we had two more episodes to do. So we stopped in episode 18, took this five month hiatus and now back <laughs> still in that same level of keeping it up here. Cause it's the Crazy. very, very end. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, in terms of, of playing both of these, the, the, the differences of playing these two characters, yeah. really, I just, I just try to come back to what makes it real. Right. You know? Um, so speaking of the ends of television shows, you're currently yes. in the midst of, of ending this one. Uh, I got to ask about the end of Felicity and yeah. the time travel that existed. Oh, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, you know, I just did a, I just did a couple episodes on the final episodes uh, and rewatched them for the first time since I saw them back in 2002 or whenever. Oh, wow. um, and, and they played a lot better now than they did back in 2002, just wow. because in 2002, I think there was a lot of like, why is there time travel on Felicity? This feels very outside the norm of this show. Yeah. Um, but having done this sort of deep dive into the, into the series, it's actually not that completely insane. Okay. You know, uh, um, Megan's character kind of dips her toe into witchcraft in season one. So like, it's not, right. there, there, there are elements that kind of are there, but how did you feel as sort of, you know, the the show comes to a natural conclusion. They do your 17 episodes, which is what the, what Warner Brothers asked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're like, just kidding, give us five more. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, I mean, did you feel like it was, like you had to emotionally get yourself to a place where it was done. And then it went on for more and then you had to do it again? Yeah, um, I remember specifically just being pissed because I wasn't in those episodes. <laughs> For me, Felicity well, you're in the very this, last episode. But I'm in the last one. I'm in the yeah, last one, yeah. which was great, and I, I remember that <laughs> very clearly. But with the time travel thing, yeah. I, I remember not liking it because I wasn't in it. I didn't like it even more. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Residuals, I get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I just like being with them. I mean, that was the of thing. Course, like, I, I like being around everybody. So when I was like, you know, not in an episode, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't in that. So I remember just being like, what is this? This is stupid. Doesn't make sense. And um, and Foley directs the the first finale, if you will. He directs episode seventeen, which was the one oh, that was supposed right. to be the last one. That's right. Um, and then it, and then you know, uh, they asked yeah. for five more, and then so you're there for the for the last. Yeah. I'm assuming the last day of shooting, right? Which was the wedding. Totally. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, Greg giving the speech yep, um, yep. to everybody. Uh, you know, I spoke with Lawrence Trilling about the episode the other day. Um, 
you know, and he said that, you know, he tried to do some blocking, tried to do some shooting, and he just wasn't feeling like that energy was there. And that's why I asked Greg to kind of essentially reminisce and mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. bust everybody's balls and do whatever he did on mic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the reactions from all of you are so genuine. I mean, it's, it's a stroke of genius, uh, on whoever's part of it's Lawrence or whoever to just sort of prop Greg up and say, do your thing. Right. Um, but to get those reactions out of all, all of you, what was it like? Was it, was it cathartic? I'm assuming that it was a very sort of blissful, nice way to end the show. Yeah, it was. And it's funny. It was at that point, you didn't feel like you're acting anymore. At that point, right. we were just kind of being ourselves because like I said, we all loved each other so much and had such sure. a fun time together and had made all these memories together that felt significant. I mean, at this, you know, uh, four seasons isn't a long, long run by today's standards, but like, it felt like a lot and it felt like we'd spent sure. this, like I said before, this significant amount of time together. Um, so yeah, I just remember hundred episodes emotional. isn't nothing. Right. It's true. Hundred episodes. It's, true. <laughs> it's, a, lot. it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we had, we remember it was at the, um, it was at the, uh, the Scientology Celebrity Center. Okay. Which okay. is this, right, this big hotel building, Weird. odd building, right, a, uh-huh. right near Beachwood Canyon. And they've got a gaz- huge gazebo. And mm-hmm. so we shot the wedding in that gazebo. Oh, that's so, uh, so funny. It was weird that we were there. Um, but yeah, I've got lots of pictures of that night. We were just hanging out. It just really just felt sure. like we were hanging out. And Greg giving the speech didn't feel any different than Greg himself giving a speech like that at a, <laughs> at a rap party, you know? Really? He likes to talk? <laughs> that he does. I mean, I think I got two questions in in my uh, in my half an hour of talking with him. Yeah, that makes sense. I say that, that with nothing but but love. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I mean, it, was, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Did he tell uh, you about yeah, the season the the season that we they didn't have as much money, and so they had to write into the show. I think season three when we did the shortened season. Yeah. Short seasons. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't have. We had a lower budget, so they wrote in these episodes where where Greg and I are, are Sean and I are are shooting this documentary. Yeah. And one of the reasons they did that is because they didn't want to spend the money on film. <laughs> so we had this mandatory thing where we had to. It worked mostly, though. It worked really I well. Thought it was great, fun. I thought it was super fun with me as, as his boom guy. It's uh, yeah. I mean, they they do. So there's the documentary episode. Right. Is it there's there's one of them in in season one, um, where and and you figure into that as well, where you're trying to yes. out Noel and Felicity and all that. Yes. Yes. Um, and and it had a very. I mean, I don't know if there's any legitimacy to to Cloverfield having some semblance of coming from this, but the handheld footage, all of that sort of stuff. The whole episode is basically shot right. that way. Yeah. Um, now there's no question it was for budgetary reasons. And I'm sure that episode was, you know, two thirds cheaper than the previous episode. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's, it, but, but it, it worked, it, it was organic to the show. And that's again, yeah. a testament to, um, to the fact that that shouldn't work, but it works yeah. because the writers do it in a way that makes it feel like it actually would happen. Um, yeah, yeah. were you guys yeah. now, Greg said that like he wasn't allowed to actually film because of union rules. Were you allowed to actually record the 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 audio I or were I wasn't you, actually was recording audio I okay. just had the prop yeah and he was right next to camera so we had the actual cameraman and Greg is right next to the camera it's very meta that's great yeah very meta very meta that's uh that's awesome well I yeah. mean thank you so much for, for doing this uh, yeah. I really appreciate you uh coming on and and uh and talking uh you know going down memory lane I'm always happy to you know I'm always happy to talk about that show and like I said I feel almost like it's a show that not everyone even knows about but the people that do yeah. realize how special it was and 
I uh, always have to talk about it because it was very special to me too. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks, Philip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.